0: All right, well, good morning. Welcome again. To H2O, it is so great to have you here with us. And uh, like Matt said, my name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, we'd love to meet you after the service. And uh, as we've been talking about all day, you know, it's exciting to launch into a new school year, whether you're on the city side or the campus side, it's always great. And there's nothing like a college town when it comes to life and there's excitement. And so for us at H2O, we are just so excited and expectant to see what God is going to do this year. We, we can't Wait, and we believe that he has big plans for you, and we believe that he has big plans for our church. And with that being said, we are jumping into a new series today that we're calling Collide. And, and, and the series is really going to be looking at these different people who their lives kind of collided with Jesus. These different people who are maybe just going about their normal business, going about their normal day, and they have this interaction, this collision with Jesus, and when they do, everything changes for them. And we're going to talk about their experiences and see what we can learn from their experiences and also see what we can learn about Jesus because one of the things that you'll find out very quick about H2O if you're here for any amount of time is that that we are passionate about following Jesus. We don't want to just talk about Jesus or play church, but we actually want to be a group of people who are seeking to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and the best way to do that is to look at his life and look at how he interacted with others and see what we can learn from that. And And so we are starting this series, Collide. And when I say that word collide. Maybe you have like a mental picture of that word. Maybe you've had some type of collision in your life before. You know, a lot of us, we've been in fender benders or something like that. Or you've been in an experience where you bumped into somebody and you had a collision. I know for myself, um, it was a couple years ago. I I was in Des Moines, Iowa. That's where like every great story starts, right? I was in Des Moines, Iowa. That's, no, there's not a lot of exciting things that happen in Des Moines, Iowa. But I was there for a wedding. Uh, It was late on a Saturday night. It was a family wedding and it wasn't super late but it was like 11 p.m. and me and my father-in-law and brother-in-law we were just walking back from the wedding because we had a hotel and everything was happening right in the the hopping area of downtown Des Moines, Iowa and as we were walking from the the reception back to our hotel this strange thing happened to me that that if I had a quarter for every time it happened I would have a quarter because we're, we're, we're walking in this group of girls I don't know if they're college girls or maybe in their mid-20s they started like cat calling us it was it was so weird you know but I, I'm like, okay this is weird but it was late at night on a Saturday in Des Moines I guess that's what you do if you're from Iowa I don't know um, so we're walking down and this group of, of girls in this car starts like yelling stuff out to us you know and, th- and they're like just messing with us probably just having a good time who knows what they were exactly doing but they were to stoplight and we were. Still Standing right there, the three of us, and, and they're, they're saying all these things to us and borderline inappropriate, but not in a mean way, but just t- trying to be funny. And the light turns green, and, and I don't know what they were thinking. They were still looking at us saying things, but they pressed on the gas and they took off and they went ahead and they just slammed into the car right in front of them. Their airbags deployed and everything. It was like this crazy experience where I'm just saying, They're like, Was it worth it, you know, to catcall a married guy? That's what you get for doing that, I guess. And uh, it, the police were there, and like a matter of seconds, my brother-in-law who's with us, he's actually a police officer, is like, oh man, I'm glad I'm not on duty, somebody's got to deal with that. But it was this kind of weird moment where this collision happened, and in that moment of a collision, it's like... Everything kind of changes in that moment, right? I mean, as you think about it, and, and thankfully they weren't hurt, it wasn't that big of a deal, but, but obviously like there were repercussions that came from that collision. They had to call their insurance, they had to figure out what was going on, they had, their car would never be the same, they had to get a new car. All these different things happened in that moment of a collision. And, and that's what a collision is, right? When we collide with something, things change. They're not going to be the same going forward and it may change for a little while. It may be just something small or it may be pretty life-altering. It may be something that that literally changes the course of the rest of your life when a collision happens and that's what we're going to see in these stories throughout this series that we're talking about. And so I want to share the big idea with you today Uh, and the big idea is this. When we collide with Jesus, our lives will never look the same. When we collide with Jesus, our lives, they will not look the same. They will change. And the stories that we're going to see are going to demonstrate that for us. And and as we we think about that and we're coming into this series and we're starting this new year, we're going to go to a passage that's very familiar to us here at H2O. We're going to spend some time looking at John chapter 4. And and we actually do this pretty regularly here at H2O, almost once a year, uh, for a couple different reasons. First, because we get our name as a church from this passage that we're going to look at today in John chapter 4. And there's something pretty significant about a name, right? Especially kind of a unique name. There's not a a lot of churches are named H2O. It's one of the most common questions we get. Well, why why are you called H2O? Well, we're going to tell you why we're called that here today from looking at this passage in John 4. But even for those of us who've been around, who've maybe studied this passage and and looked at it before, whether it's with this church or or another church, I think that not only is it important for us to look at it because it's it's significant to our church, but it's also important for us to re-look at it because we believe that the Bible is actually living and active. In the book of Hebrews it says that the word of God is living and active and so it's not enough just to look at passage one time and say oh I guess I learned everything that I could ever learn from that passage and I need to move on now and graduate to higher things but God wants us to inspect his word over and over again so that we can learn and relearn you know so much of the Christian life isn't just learning new things but it's actually applying what we already know And so as we're here today, we're excited to jump into John chapter 4 and see what God has for us fresh and new today as a church. So you can open your Bibles there. It's this story of Jesus colliding with this Samaritan woman. John chapter 4, we're going to start here in verse 5. We're going to stop a couple different times throughout this passage and see what we can pull out and learn about Jesus and learn about this woman and apply to our lives. John chapter 4, verse 5. It says this. So it says, He came to a town in Samaria called Sinarch, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well. It was about noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I want to stop right there because I think this section right here is one of the most powerful sections in all of scripture. And it teaches us this, that Jesus values people over popularity. Jesus values people over popularity. Now if you've studied this section of scripture, you're familiar with how countercultural it was for Jesus to go up to the Samaritan woman and ask her for a drink. You can tell it was countercultural because right away, the woman starts to put up some defense mechanisms like why are you asking me for a, a drink? See, uh, during that time, there was a lot of cultural things that were going on for a Jew to associate with a Samaritan would have been extremely rare. They, they actually kind of hated each other. There was racism going on. There were things going on in the culture and in the time where Jews believed that they were better than Samaritans. And so for a Jewish person to talk to a Samaritan person, they, that was almost unthinkable for them. But then beyond that, for a Jewish man to talk to a Samaritan woman, that was just unheard of. Like, it, it, she couldn't even wrap her mind around it because of how countercultural it was. Because it was just assumed, and this is terrible, but it was the reality of the time. It was assumed that, that men were, of course, higher on the food chain than women, and especially Jewish men. They were at the top of the top. Samaritan women would be at the bottom. And so for these two to have an interaction and Jesus to actually engage with her, She was expecting him to to snuff his nose up at her, to just move on, to almost maybe even kick dirt on her. Who knows what she was exactly expecting, but it wasn't for an act of engagement right there. And then not only that, but this woman wasn't any normal woman as we're about to find out. You know, to to gather water during that time, it was like a, a social event. It was like the place where, where, where all the, the women, they, they spent time getting water from the well together because you had to do it anyway. So why not be with a bunch of your friends and people who you can talk to and associate with? And they would oftentimes go early in the morning, first thing in the morning, because you need water for the rest of the day. But this woman is there by herself in the middle of the day. There's something peculiar about that. There's something not right about that. And as we're going to see, there's reasons why she was there by herself in the middle of the day. So the lowest of the lows, associating with Jesus. And and you can just see almost the confusion on her face, but that's what we love about Jesus. You know, it would have been the easy thing for him to do to just count her out. It would have been the popular thing for him to do to just assume that, you know what, I'm not gonna bother with her. I'm not gonna waste my time with her, a Samaritan woman who's an outcast, but instead he engages with her. You know, he breaks down the the racism that existed during that time. He breaks down the sexism that existed during that time. And he said, I am going to care about you. I'm going to engage with you. I'm going to talk with you because God has something for you. God has a plan in store for your life. And, and, And as we are going to continue to unpack this story, keep in mind how powerful it was that Jesus valued this woman. Because this very interaction with her brings dignity to her that she may have not had for a very, very long time. Let's jump back in. John chapter 4. Let's look at verse 10 and pick up right there. It says this. Right after she said, how, how could you even talk to me? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. H2O. That's where we get our name. That Jesus says, I can give you living water. And we're going to unpack that here in a minute. But verse 11 says this. She said, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and your well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? as it also his sons and his livestock? You know, she is just totally missing what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I can give you something spiritual to, to go beyond those, those deep needs that you have. And she's thinking that he's still talking about the, the physical H2O, the water. But verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't have to get thirsty again and keep coming here to draw water. Still missing the point of what Jesus is telling her. Verse 16. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. Verse 17. Things start to get serious here. I have no husband. She replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband and the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true sir the woman said I can see that you're a prophet our ancestors worship on this mountain but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem do you catch what has happened there she's trying to distract him from the point that he's getting at Uh, he says you know go call your husband she says I don't have a husband he says yeah you've actually had five and you're shacking up with another guy right now and she says oh yeah well what mountain are we supposed to worship on you know, she's, she's totally sidetracking and trying to get away from Jesus pressing in on, on a pretty squishy spot in her life right there. But here's something really interesting that I learned this week, and I've been studying this passage for a while, but I never really thought about this until uh, it was brought up to me as I was studying it again this week, is I was thinking about this interaction that Jesus was having with this woman. You know, you always think that Jesus is just calling her out on her sin, right? And there is a piece of that that he is doing. But, but think about the position that this woman was in. She had had five husbands, but she didn't have a husband anymore. And in that time, 2,000 years ago, a woman couldn't divorce a man. Okay? So what was going on here is this woman had either had her husband die, or more, li- more than likely, her husbands had left her over and over again. A woman couldn't leave a man 2,000 years ago. It was illegal. It was literally illegal. She became his property. So, so she wasn't owning those five husbands. Those five husbands were walking away from her. And now she's in a situation where she's with a guy who won't make a commitment to her and so she is still living in sin. So I don't even know if Jesus is so much calling her out on her sin here, although he is, on a certain extent, But I think Jesus is also pressing in and saying, listen, I know what you've been through. I know where you've been. I I know this thing about you, even though I've never met you before. I know this thing about you, and I want you to know that God's not done with you yet. I want you to know that maybe those five husbands have left you and moved on and you were disposable to them, but you're not disposable to me. You're not disposable to God because God has a plan for your life and I want to speak into you. I want to give you dignity. I want to give you value. And that my interaction here with you is proving that you are worth something. You're more than just the the woman that the guys have continually left behind. You're a, a person that is deeply loved and valued and cared for. See, our second point is this, that Jesus, as he interacts with this Samaritan woman, he is both challenging and inviting. Jesus is both challenging and inviting. I mean, as he's having this interaction with this woman, he is going right for the jugular, right? I mean, he is getting in there and dealing with some of the the most serious issues that you can possibly be dealing with. He is challenging her, calling her to a higher standard, saying, listen, you have to know your value. You have to respect yourself enough to know that I love you and that you're cared for and that God has a plan for you. But he's also inviting He's not worried about keeping the social status or the social norms. He's saying, listen, I want to engage with you. I care for you. And this is a a pattern that we try as a church to to pattern our, our whole structure as a church after. You know, if you come around HO again for any amount of time, you'll know that we try not to to shy away from what the Bible actually says. In fact, we don't shy away from what the Bible says because it's it's not our prerogative to change God's word to us. That's what we believe the Bible actually is. And so, we have to address some challenging issues at times, especially in the culture and in the world that we live in. You know, we try our very best, to be faithful and true to God's word, which sometimes means challenging. But we also want to be completely inviting, letting people know that even if you don't agree with every single thing that we say, and even if you're on a journey, and even if you're experiencing change in your life, but you're not there yet, even if you're not perfect, we want you to know that that you're welcome here. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to act a certain way. You can come and experience and explore the plan that God has for your life here. It may involve some challenge, but you are always welcome. We wanna invite people in to the family of God, just like Jesus did to this woman. Let's jump back in to the text because things continue to, to get interesting here. Verse 21 The woman, she replied, "Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship." Or or Jesus replied, "Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem." Remember her question: Where where should we worship? Jesus says, "It's not about where you worship; it's about who you worship." A time's coming, and has now come, where you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor nor Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, for we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So don't get so caught up on exactly where you're worshiping. Get caught up on the heart behind the worship, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Check this out, verse 25. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. See, third, this is extremely important. We have to decide who Jesus is. We have to decide if we can take Jesus at his word or not. And I would dare to say that it is the most important decision that any of us will make with our life. Who is Jesus? Because when we make that decision, then that affects the way that we live and the way that we act. When we collide and come face to face with Jesus and his words right here, the Messiah is coming, well, I am the Messiah. As I stand here and talk, we have to do something with that statement that Jesus made. Because what we know about a person drastically affects the way that we interact with them. I've shared this story before, but I think that it's fitting because um, it relates to the reality of how we interact with a person very much depends on their relationship to us. I was at a conference a couple years ago, and uh, I hadn't seen my wife for a while. I'm married. I have three kids, for those of you who I don't know, and we've been away for a couple of days, and she was coming to the conference, but I was there early to help set up, and so we hadn't seen each other for a while. It was a big room full of people, and I see my wife from across the room. I hadn't seen her for a while, so I kind of make my way across the room, and, and I, I'm excited to see her. She was talking to this group of people who I knew, and as I, I come up to her, I kind of put my arm around her and I'm about to lean in to give her a kiss and as I'm about to do that I realize that the woman I have my arm around is not my wife it's actually my friend's wife they look very similar from across the room you know and they knew the same group of people so as I'm standing there I'm like oh hey how's it going you know And and as I was thinking about that interaction, I was thinking, you know, it would be totally appropriate for me to put my arm around my wife and give her a kiss because she's my wife. The way that I interact with her is very different than the way that I interact with her friend, as it should be, right? And the same is true with us and Jesus. If Jesus is God, if Jesus is the Messiah, who he says that he is, then the way that we interact with him must be different. Because, yeah, he's a great teacher, but he's more than that. Yeah, he's somebody who did some miracles, but he's more than that. Yeah, he's a, a moral authority, but he's more than that. If he is the Messiah, that means he is the King. The one that w- when he gives a command, we say yes to. The one w- when he calls us to do something or root something out of our life or make a change when our lives collide with him, he wins every time if he truly is the Messiah. And as we look at this passage, he brings us face-to-face with this reality that he is the living water. And, you know, as we think about it, I don't think we're that much different than this, this woman that, that he had this interaction with. You know, sometimes we, we read stories like this and we think, man, you know, that, that woman, I can't even relate to her. You know, she had so many different experiences. Uh, but I think we can all probably re- relate to the reality of feeling maybe a little bit left behind feeling in a place in life where we wonder, you know, is God almost done with me? You know, how could Jesus even talk with me? How could Jesus even interact with me? And see, this woman, her problem was she had those questions, and she was running to another guy who she was living with and yet not married. She was thirsty for something, but instead of running to God, she was running to relationships or to men to try to fill that hole in her life. And again, I don't think, all of us are, are that much different. Sometimes we're tempted to run to different things other than Jesus, to meet those needs. You know, for some of us, it, it could be we just bury our head in our jobs or in our work or in our profession, and we think, if I can just kind of reach and move up the ladder, get good grades at college or whatever the case may be, then I'll feel that fulfillment that I'm looking for. I'll feel that kind of hole that, that I'm trying to experience for, for others of us. Maybe we can directly relate to this one. Maybe it is relationships where we continually find ourselves jumping around from person to person, hoping that they can fill us up in only a way that God can. Or maybe you can relate to the story that we heard earlier, where, where it was just filling myself up with, with partying or trying to be around people that, that can make me feel better about myself or, or consuming enough alcohol or doing whatever we find ourselves doing to say, I can fill myself up with this. But here's the problem, all those things, Continue to lead to emptiness. And I think that Jesus would say the same thing to us that He says to this woman. Anyone who runs to the well of blank, fill fill in the blank. Anyone who runs to the well, and we all have our own things that we're tempted to run to, anyone who runs to the well of partying or relationships or success, whatever, will be thirsty again, but I can give you living water and you'll never thirst again. That's the promise that we have in Jesus, and man, it is a powerful promise. I want to jump back in and just look at this last section, because it's so awesome to see how when this woman's life collides with Jesus, the change, the big idea that we talked about, that she was not the same. Let's look at verse 27. It says, then the disciples returned, Okay, they went into town, they, they were, you know, running to McDonald's to get some food real quick. They come back, then the disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked. You know, Jesus sometimes would give them some pretty direct responses. They're like, we're not going to ask why you're doing that. I'm sure you have a good reason, Jesus. We'll just let you give you a pass on this one. But no one asked, uh, what do you want? Or or why are you talking with her? And then, leaving her jar of water, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. This, could this be the Messiah? And they came out of town, and they made their way towards him, and then jumped down into verse 39 here. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed 2 days. And because of this, the words of because of his words many more became believers, and they said to the woman, "We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world." See, fourth and finally, it's this. When our lives collide with Jesus, it won't remain a secret. When our lives collide with Jesus, the natural outflow is to tell others about it. See what happened to this woman? She's the least likely person in the town to be going and telling other people spiritual things. And she goes tentatively at first, could it be that he actually is the Messiah? I'm not qualified to make that call. Everybody else comes out and sees and they say, yeah, he actually is. He truly is the Messiah. As I think about that, you know, and I think about our church and I even think about this week and and all the different interactions that we've got to have with people, just trying to tell people about the love that Jesus has for them. It's a natural overflow of colliding with him, of being changed with him, of being moved by him. And God oftentimes uses unlikely people to tell his story. You look throughout the pages of scripture and people like this Samaritan woman Being the ones who are going out and telling others about Jesus is way more common than you would even think, and that should give each and every one of us hope. Maybe you feel like, well, you don't know my past. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've been through or what I've done, and that's probably true, and I don't. But I do know this, that God has a plan for you. He hasn't given up on you. Jesus hasn't given up on you. Just like he didn't give up on this woman, he hasn't given up on any one of us, and he wants not perfection for us, He wants for us to have freedom. He knows that we're not going to be perfect, but he knows that we can have freedom from the sins and the mistakes that have kept us in bondage. Just like this woman, he says, I want you to experience and walk in the abundant life that I have for you, the living water. Each and every one of us can do that. We can experience the freedom that Jesus has to offer when we say, I I want to follow you, I want to put my faith, I want to put my trust in you. That's what we believe wholeheartedly here at h that God is giving each one of us that option to engage with him in our hope and our prayer as that we would walk in that. That we would answer the question of who is Jesus with saying he is the Messiah. And then that we would follow in the rightful step of saying, God, I'm gonna give you my life and submit everything to you. So with that being said, let's pray and let's just spend some time worshiping God for who he is and how deeply he loves us.